When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, good Sunday evening, everybody. Welcome into the Rocky Top Rewind here at VolQuest.com and VolQuest on the YouTube channel. I'm Eric Kane, alongside Brent Hubs, and this program is brought to you in part every single Sunday night by our friends at Spivey King and Spivey LLP. If you got a problem, let them find a solution for you. Uh, TN Trial Lawyers, you can give them a call today for a free consultation. That is 423-245-4185 or visit them online at SpiveyKingAndSpiveyLLP.com. Over the next 60 minutes, we will answer all of your questions, so go ahead and send those in. We'll uh, mark them and get to them as the show goes on. We will talk recruiting with Matt Ray at 8.30. Uh, Tennessee hosted five official visitors, a couple of top-flight targets for both 24, trying to finish off that cycle, and the 2025 cycle. Tennessee just picked up a 2025 commit, and we'll discuss all that with Matt Ray. But first, Brandon, it was obviously not the outcome any Tennessee fan wanted, uh, number one, Georgia came in, looked like the number one team in the country, and uh, Tennessee did not. Yeah, I mean, Tennessee's obviously struggling. They're struggling offensively in a, in a, in a real way right now to, to move the football. It's hard. I, I mentioned that in my 10 things today. It just feels hard. It feels hard to find 10 yards for this offense. And, um, you know, defensively, they, they're having a hard time getting off the field on – uh, really, third, all, all third downs, but especially third and long right now is a real challenge for them. And Georgia's the team everybody in college football is chasing right now. And uh, there's a lot of chasing left to do for Tennessee because that that gap is not um, that that gap is not closed down near to the degree everybody wants it to be at this point. So um, you got to play better. I mean, if you're going to upset a team like that, you've got to play really well at all positions. You've got to make plays when they can become available to you offensively. Tennessee failed to do that on multiple occasions. And then when you have a chance to get off the field defensively, you got to get off the field, and Tennessee couldn't do that. So tough day for Tennessee for sure. It was a tough day, and it started off really good. I mean, Tennessee's been a really good starting football team in the first quarter, scored on its opening possession several times this year, scored from 50-plus yards or more three times by Jalen Wright alone, scored on the first play from scrimmage two times already this season, Jalen Wright, 75 yards on Saturday against Georgia. I think it was an 83-yard quarterback run by Joe Milton against UTSA. So it started off really well, and that place was bumping. Uh, Tennessee's defense comes out there, holds into a field goal on Georgia's first possession. But then it kind of went downhill in a hurry. I think um, you mentioned this after the after the show or after the game the other night, and I agree. I, I think the biggest thing is you you walk away from that game looking at the missed opportunities earlier in the season, You know, leading 20-7 to at Alabama losing its Florida, the debacle at Missouri, because you weren't likely going to win the Georgia game regardless. It's still upsetting the way it happened, but you're looking at 8-4 and four with the win against Vanderbilt, and that's a season Tennessee fans have longed for for a long time over the past 15 years, but it could have been better if you would have handled business earlier in the year. Yeah, I mean, I think that Florida game hurts, you know. Um, it's hard to go to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and win. Now, you had a chance because of how well you played in the first half. Um, so as, as a result of that, that one hurts. But, you know, 
you weren't healthy on the offensive line, quarterback. You didn't play well enough at Florida. Defensively in the second quarter, you were really poor. That that's the one that hurts when you look at it. I mean, Missouri's a Missouri's a good football team. There, there's um, they're they're not bad at all. Now Tennessee is much better than what they played. No, don't get me wrong. But that's a that's a Missouri team. That's a, that's a you know that's a hard out. That's not an easy out. Um, that's the Florida one that that hurts because you don't feel like Florida is very good. And, and that I mean. That's pretty high watermark for Florida right there was was winning that game when you look at where their season's at and where it's going and and um that was a disappointment for Tennessee for for sure. And so yeah, I mean, yesterday was you know, losing four touchdowns is bothersome. Okay. Um but but it's also a reminder of just opportunities that that was left out there. There were some toss up games going into the season. Georgia wasn't one of those toss up games. I mean I you know, people can say whatever they want to say. That wasn't a toss-up game. Nobody was predicting Tennessee to beat Georgia, even though it was in Neyland Stadium. Um, nobody really thought you'd go to Tuscaloosa and win. You won a couple of toss-up games, and, and you lost a couple of toss-up games, right? And Florida being the biggest toss-up, and you didn't go get it done down there. And, and you're a better team than Florida. You just didn't play that way that night. No, you did not. Certainly a bad second quarter. We all remember that all too well. Uh, we'll continue to to look at this game. I want to share some thoughts I had from the rewatch. So does Brand, but we want to get to your questions uh, here over the course of the next you know hour. Go and send those in. We'll continue to mark them. We'll start a couple here from Michael. Michael says, "How do you think a, a bad loss like this affects the recruits that were here?" Now, plenty of recruiting coverage, and again, we'll talk to Matt Ray at eight thirty. So stay tuned. Plenty of recruiting coverage already over at VolQuest.com. Feels like a lot of these guys. Like the loss didn't affect him. It's kind of like, well, Georgia is Georgia. Everybody loses to Georgia. Uh, more takeaways about you know the environments, uh, what the what the program's doing overall. Dolly Parton being in town, Peyton Manning being in town. It feels like Brent from from everything we've seen and read, and of course all of our coverage at BallQuest, uh, that it, the loss didn't really affect the recruits. And we talk about it all the time how one loss doesn't really defined a recruitment of sure you want to win you want to put forth a better effort but it feels like Tennessee still showed well for a really really big group that was here on campus yeah and, and we'll see in the coming days as, as everybody comes off the visit high kind of where all that stuff is right I mean typically coming right out of the visit uh, everybody's got great things to say and, and I think the week I think the weekend went well I think Tennessee puts on a a good weekend for for everybody regardless of the outcome of the game or not so I don't think it's the end-all, be-all in terms of a, a recruit looking at the scoreboard going, hey, I don't have any desire to play here or to play uh, at Tennessee because of that. So, um, but but at the same time, too, I mean, you know, for the 25s and 26s, I mean, you get a, you got to show growth moving forward. Uh, but you're getting them on campus, you're starting those relationships. And for the 24s who are still left on the board, they're looking for something specific at this point. Some of it may be NIL-related. Some of it may be just – specific fit probably not looking at a specific scoreboard uh for those 24s left on the board so we'll see how it plays out here over the course of the next week's weeks for those guys and then obviously long time to go still for those 25s you got to get them back on campus multiple times with junior days mm -hmm. and january and february and spring practice and camps and whatever we're calling the 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 picnic barbecue springtime of some late early summer event Lollapalooza, right i mean you're trying to get those guys back in town six seven more times before they come uh, and sign somewhere next year so lo lots to do between now and then yeah me and matt joke every week on trail tip that it's it's like all right it's great you know good to see you glad you're here now when can you be back when can you be back yeah. i mean that's that's what recruiting is. Michael goes on to ask, why was Walker and McDonald out, and did we have a walk-on defensive back playing? 
Uh, yeah, both those guys, uh, obviously Walker, um, you know, we, we mentioned on the two minute drill going to be out and of course had to change up at safety. Tamari McDonald's been bat- battling injuries for quite some time. He went out early in the Missouri game. His replacement, Jordan Thomas, played pretty much that entire game. Jordan Thomas started at star, played two plays, and then he gets injured. And in comes then Will Brooks. And um, it's not ideal, of course. Um, interesting. I mean, Brandon Turnage, I'm sure he hadn't practiced star in a while. He's been cornerback for most of the season, but he's a guy that's experienced at that spot. But you went with Will Brooks, and uh, he's he's been a safety, played against Virginia earlier in the year. He's a veteran guy, but yes, he's the one that played pretty much the entire game. And he made mistakes just like all those guys, but I thought Andre Turrentine and Will Brooks, they were far from perfect, but I thought they held their own for the most part. Yeah, I mean, they thought Tamari McDonald was going to play, and he went through warm-ups, and he just didn't have the range of motion that he needed to have for them to be comfortable putting him out there. So medical people basically DQ'd him from playing in the game. Walker's not going to play the rest of the year. Um, So we'll see where they go um, moving forward um this week what does that look like um where's jordan thomas you know that that's who started um at at the star position and then he gets banged up and so that gets you into will brooks uh so where's jordan thomas this week um where are they where's tamarian mcdonald is there a chance he's going to play this week or or not play um so we'll see um i've said this all summer all fall What's the best five? What's the combination of best five? Have they played the best combination of five this year? Injuries have probably messed some of that up. Um, could they have moved some guys around, cross-trained some guys, and been better? You know, with, selfishly, would I have liked to have seen Danico Slaughter at safety, you know, and play Ricky Gibson at corner? I think you're more athletic if you play that way. Uh, but but I don't know, you know, that Slaughter, that that move to safety for him is realistic, having played corner since the Kentucky game a year ago after playing safety for two years in this system. I don't know how easy that move would be for him. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know that they're um, – I don't think it'll matter against Vanderbilt, but they're just not overly athletic in the, in the back end. They haven't been all – you know, at spots all year long, and I think they lost some athleticism with the injuries that they've had. Michael says, season turn the second half against Alabama. Not sure why. And certainly, you can make that case. Since he did go on and win on the road the next week at Kentucky, but you're leading 20-7 to against Alabama, and you come out and you're outscored, uh, you know, whatever, what, 28, 27 to nothing in the second half. You had a couple of penalties that were awful, couldn't run the ball. And so that was a that was a bad loss because of where you were and what you had already accomplished in that football game. You get the win at Kentucky. Um, you get a win against UConn, uh, lay an egg on the road at Missouri, and then, you know, for the most part, lay an egg against Georgia, even though you probably weren't going to win that game regardless. I mean, that was the second half at Alabama, to, to Michael's point. It was certainly a, a turning point for Tennessee, and I think it's more frustrating because, again, you were – I remember saying it after that game on the on the Rocket Top Rewind. You were leading that game. I mean, in points in times, you were dominating that first half, really in control of it, and then just kind of let it, you know, let it loose, and, and Tennessee's not been the same since. Yeah, I mean, I think it's more about what you missed in the first half in that Alabama game when you had to settle for field goals and, yeah. and not, not score touchdowns in the red zone, which has been a problem all year long. That didn't just suffer, you know, show up in the Alabama game. Uh, still, I mean, going to Tuscaloosa and winning is very hard. Most people, most people don't do that. You're certainly not going to get any help down there to do that. Um, you can ask a lot of teams that have gone through there and thought they had a chance to win. To me, the biggest thing is what happened against Missouri, right? That that's the one. That's the game where nobody showed up. 
you were bad on offense. You couldn't run the football after being able to run it against Kentucky the way you did, move the football the way you did against Alabama. Um, you, you go to, you know, you go to Missouri and you have a bad turnover and defensively you're bad the entire day. Offensively, you're bad. I think teams are playing Joe different. I, you know, I think you look at what, you, you know, what Missouri did and, and really what I, uh, Georgia did. It was a lot of drop coverage, right? Didn't blitz him a whole lot. Let's see how Joe reads the field. Let's see how he makes decisions. Uh, will he make a quick decision and, and squeeze the ball in there? How is he going to handle some of the zone stuff that we're playing, little man under look that, we're, that, that you're going with? And the run game, Eric, I don't know enough about the run game, but it feels like odd fronts give Tennessee problems. Um, whether it's a three-man front or a five-man front, a lot of people play in three-man fronts with an overhanging linebacker. It allows the quickness to kind of counteract some of those double teams that Tennessee likes to likes to use. And um, you, you look at that. I mean, Florida played some of that in, in the early part of the season when Tennessee rushed for right at 100 yards. Missouri played a ton of it. And then Georgia showed up with it with a three-man front. And I think Tennessee has a hard time running the football against that. I know they popped the one run against Jalen with Jalen Wright. But after that, they averaged just over two yards of carry the rest of the game. Um, Georgia seemed to fit it up much better after that. Tennessee wasn't overly committed to it. But I don't know what it is. It, it feels like that front and that defense gives the run game more issues. Now the counter has to be that you throw the football better against that and force that defense to change a little bit, or, or you got to figure out a way to run against it. Cause it is a bit of a light box. They're just using the athleticism to me at linebacker to kind of outmaneuver some of that double team stuff that Tennessee likes to do. I don't know if that's the case or not. I just have seen some teams with three man fronts seem to give Tennessee more trouble than some of that standard four, four, two, five look stuff does. Yeah, Georgia gave up the, the the big hitter there on play number one, 75 yards for Jalen Wright, and it worked out perfectly for Tennessee because you mentioned this in your 10 things you think you learn. You know, three-man front, you're bringing a backer from somewhere, right? So the three-man front slanted to, you know, the, the, the offense is left, and that three technique slanted to the left A-gap. Spragans and Cooper Mays took care of him. The zero technique nose guard slanted towards Ollie Lane. He took care of him. And then the motion with Jacob Warren across the, the the center, got the Tyke Smith out of position. You had one linebacker that took C gap because he had run action his way, and while you're slanting, that's his gap. And then the other linebacker, C.J. Allen, just got caught in no man's land, you know, looking at the backfield. And it hit perfectly. Jalen Wright turned on the Jets and outran two NFL uh, secondary guys and, and scored. So that worked for Tennessee, but Georgia's good. Georgia recovered. They tackled well in space. They closed – um, and again, you know, I watched Georgia and Alabama, you know, for for years. They they close space really quickly. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the the fourth down, you wrote about it um, when they go that full house set under center. It was blocked really well. And, and I'm like you, man. Like I saw that opening, Jabari Small got it, and then it just nothing after that. I mean, Georgia did a great job of covering space, you know, closing speed, and really just erasing anything. Or, or much of anything for Tennessee on the ground. Yeah, the thing that Georgia does, and Alabama has done this for you, but I think Georgia has probably taken it um, to a better level. The, the, the angles that Georgia plays with are really good. There's very few times that they you feel like they're out of position, um, you know, that, that they overrun a play or, or that their angle to pursuit for tackling is not, is not good. I mean – they're just really fundamentally sound and they have great athleticism to close. 
but they close with a lot of football instincts because their angles seem to be really good. So um, it's hard. And the, the problem for Tennessee offensively is it's been really hard for the last two weeks to make first downs. And you're not going to go into that game against Georgia and, and going to drive it four or five times for eight or ten plays to score points. You're going to have to hit some explosives. They hit the one, and that was really the only thing they hit the entire game. Um, that's not to say you're going to need you know five 75-yard touchdown runs, but you got to flip the field with a 30-yard pass somewhere, right? And he just didn't hit any of those things. We'll continue to look back at Tennessee and Georgia. We'll talk recruiting. Matt Ray coming up in about 15 minutes. And more and more of your questions as we continue on here on the Rocky Top Rewind. Could not do the Rocky Top Rewind without our friends, the presenting sponsor of the show. That is Spivey King and Spivey LLP. Matthew A. Spivey, J. Matt King, Richard A. Spivey. You got a problem? Let them find a solution for you, T and Trial Lawyers. They specialize in criminal defense, family law, and personal injury. With over 80 years of combined experience, Spivey King and Spivey LLB provides representation throughout state and federal courts of Northeast Tennessee. The firm, a vast amount of trial experience. It's been in place for 43 years with this partnership since 2012, also having partners who are energized and ready and ready for today's modern legal demands. Uh, pra practicing primarily in Northeast Tennessee and the Tri-Cities of Sullivan County, as well as Hawkins County, Washington County, and surrounding areas, the firm has won multiple awards with attorneys who are rated by super lawyers in Mid-South with real trial experience. Whether you've been injured in a car accident, need a divorce, help with custody of your children, or have been accused of a, a crime, Spivey King and Spivey LLP is there to help you today. Go ahead and give them a call for a free consultation. If you're watching, that number's on the screen. If you're listening, that number is 423-245-4185. 423-245-4185. Our friends Spivey King and Spivey LLP.com as well online. More of the Rocky Top Rewind coming up next right here at VolQuest.com. Welcome back into the Rocky Top Rewind. I'm Eric Kane. That man is Brent Hubs. We're answering your questions up until 9 o'clock Eastern time. If you haven't already, like this video. And if, you, if you're not subscribed to the VolQuest YouTube channel, go ahead and get a subscription there. And, of course, the best news, best Tennessee insider notes available. It's crossover season, busy time, recruiting as well. All that at VolQuest.com. We'll get into more of your questions, and uh, we'll go over here to tournament brackets. Uh, here it is. Uh, will we get a Florida Bowl most likely? Um, you wrote about this again in your 10 Things You Think You Learn. With Auburn's loss to New Mexico State, if Tennessee beats Vanderbilt, finishes at 8-4, and four, that increases the chance of Jacksonville, which is the uh, Gator Bowl. And, of course, nothing's official or guaranteed, but uh, kind of seems like it would line up for Tennessee to go to Florida, Tennessee to go to Jacksonville most likely uh, in that scenario. Well, I think it, I think the – what it hinges on is how many teams get in the playoff in the New Year's Six for the SEC. Yeah. Um, who, who all gets in there, I, I think, is the question mark. Are they going to get three teams? Are they going to get just two teams? What does that look like um, will be a factor. And then the other things, you know, I think is a factor. Like LSU, how attractive of a team are they going to be if Jaden Daniels is an opt-out and doesn't play in the bowl game? Does a bowl Is a bowl as interested in them as they would be otherwise? So there's some variables out there, but Auburn not winning against New Mexico State, um, I think takes them out of the running of being in Florida, and that eliminates one possible team that could beat Tennessee out for a trip to uh, Jacksonville. So um, I, I think that's a, that's a solid thing for Tennessee. Um, and remember, you, you got to be – 
they're not going to take a six and six team to Jacksonville over an eight and four Tennessee team. So those are th- all things playing into your fact into your hands there, which is why that Auburn loss uh, was so important from that standpoint. But again, part of it depends on how many people get into um, the New Year's Six. Doug wants to know if any of the coaches will be gone after the season. As far as contracts, uh, Willie Martinez is the only one that is not on a multi-year contract. His contract is up and is a beginning of February, correct? Yep. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see what happens there, but he is the only one that is not on a multi-year contract right now. Let's go to Austin. Austin says, hey, is it possible to fix the problems in one offseason? The schedule is getting much harder in 2024. Uh, I mean, there, there's a lot to do this offseason. Of course, it'll be a huge spring for a lot of these young guys. Um, you, you know, the Chaz Nimrods, the Caleb Webbs, they've, they've, they've done some things this year. they got to continue to to step up. The Devin Hobbs, these young secondary guys like Ricky Gibson, Jordan Matthews. So it's going to be a big offseason for a lot of those guys. Um, but in terms of the offensive you know, deficiencies, lack of explosive plays, lack of separation, um, you know, quarterback, how likely is it that, I mean, it's not like a magic switch to where you're going to go back to what 2022 Tennessee was, but how much improvement can you see potentially in an offseason? But I think the first question is, Brent, who all is going to be on this team in January? Well, you got 20 you got twenty players who could be back off a of COVID season. Uh, but then it's about quarterback play, right? I mean, you know, the, those teams that get good quarterback play are good football teams or better football teams. Um you know, what, what does Tennessee's quarterback play look like? And part of that depends on what the offensive line looks like. Um, there's a lot of variables there that, you know, offensively, which is where, listen, the defense has got issues, okay? And, and I don't think those could be ignored or glossed. But, I mean, you scored 17 points the last two games. You know, this is an offense where you're supposed to be scoring a lot of points. That's what this thing is about. I mean, you know, everybody talked about, well, if the defense will hold, hold teams under 30 points, then you're going to win games. You know, well, I mean, up until last night or yesterday, Tennessee had done that, and you hadn't won enough games. So offensively, they've got to get going. The one thing I will disagree a little bit with Austin about is um, the schedule getting much harder in 24. Oklahoma was already on the schedule in 24 as a non-conference opponent. Now they've become a conference opponent. So your four non-conference games, um, I mean, NC State and Charlotte, okay, that um, they're better than Virginia, I think. Um, but you know, they've had a tough year. Your other three non-conference games are wins. Um, so they're, you know, there's, if you handle NC state, that's four, you got Vanderbilt on the schedule. I mean, it's not, it's not the end of the world at Mississippi state's going to have a new coach. Uh, Sam Pittman, maybe a lame dunk coach when you get to November. I mean, he's back for another year, but I think that Arkansas game is going to be a November game. So I don't know that it's not changing the way Georgia's schedule's changing. Let's put it that way. Right, Georgia's going to play Alabama probably in September. I mean, hello, Georgia hadn't seen anything like that, right? So um, it's a, it's it's not like oh my gosh, the schedule's suddenly drastically changing, becoming you know just out of this world hard compared to what they played the last couple of years. Michael wants to know: Are these red shirts causing walk-ons to play instead? Now, when you say walk-ons, you know Dane Davis is a former walk-on. He started a right tackle. I feel pretty confident in saying that there's not a not a, a an offensive lineman that is planning to redshirt that should have been playing over Dane Davis. You would agree, correct? Yeah, and 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 here's the thing too. I mean, I mean Dane Davis played because Gerald Mincy's got a legit injury. He's got a knee. He's got a knee injury that he's dealing with with a meniscus issue, and that's why Dane Davis played in that game. Um, Will Brooks 
you know, John Slaughter's a guy who I think is going to be a good player in the back end, but they clearly don't feel like he's ready to play. And I mean, if you've listened to Tim Banks talk all year long, Eric, that shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. Um, you know what I mean? But because all we heard is about you got to be in the right place. You got to know what to do and all yeah. those types of things. And so it shouldn't be a shock that they did not go with a young player there yesterday. Now, as for the Nico thing and this idea, well, the plan was to redshirt him. That was not the plan all along. It's fallen that way. Okay. Because, and so last night, Tennessee made a decision, or I think, you know, probably made a decision before last night. Hey, we're not going to play him in, in a 28 point blowout for a handful of snaps. Play him against Vanderbilt, play him in the bowl game. He plays in five games because the bowl game doesn't count. He's a red shirt. And you, and you move on at this point. I don't think that's a huge deal, but I don't think that they come to some great rat decision-making process in the middle of October that they were going to redshirt Nico because the head coach said all along he was not going to redshirt. Um, so, you know, that that's where that that's at. Um, I, Michael says he was not talking about Dane Davis. The, the only other walk on that play was Will Brooks. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and you know, I explained that one. And, and Will Brooks – might have played some safety with Andre Turrentine last night if Jordan Thomas had not gotten hurt. Um, but that became – Will Brooks became a part of the game because they felt like he was better than Brandon Turnage to play at the star position once Jordan Thomas got hurt. And, again, when was the last time Brandon Turnage repped at star? I, I don't know. When was the yeah, last but, time – Listen, athletically, again, I, I'm looking at this secondary, and this is not a knock on Will Brooks, but I'm looking at this secondary – I don't think they're athletic enough. I don't know that they played their five best athletes or, or, or a collection. Uh, you know, I don't think they've married that puzzle together. I agree. Uh, of being the most athletic group they can be back there. And I don't think they were the most athletic group they could be last night. To me, Ricky Gibson should be playing more snaps than he's playing. Now, he's a corner all the way, but but you're playing a corner in Danico Slaughter, who in his college career has played star and has played safety as well. He played safety in this system. So um, I, I would just like, I would have liked to have seen more Ricky Gibson last night. Uh, I understand John. If you don't think John Slaughter's, I mean, he hadn't played all year long. I get that, that you don't think he's there again. They would have been more athletic with Jordan Thomas on the field, but Jordan Thomas hurt his shoulder and I don't know when he'll be back. My thing with being versatile and cross training and all that, like what's the point in cross training and what's important about, you know, talking about versatility. If you don't, have the faith to, to switch that up in the game if need be. Like, I get it week to week. I, I recognize that. But, I mean, you know, having turnage spell Brooks Summit star if needed or, or whatever the case may be, I I don't know. Uh, may, may, that's that's a philosophy of, of those coaches. They cross-train some of those guys. But um, a lot of times they, they they stay put from week to week. And, and, you know, maybe it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I do remember talking about Tim Banks or talking to Tim Banks after the Virginia game. Because Will Brooks came in, he was the first safety off the bench uh, in that blowout, you know, game against Virginia, and Jordan Thomas and um, and, and some of these other safety guys were, were dealing with some injuries during fall camp. And he said, "Hey, Will Brooks is a veteran. He knows where to be. He knows what to do. And he had a really good camp, and so that's why he played. And obviously, it goes back to to knowing where to be, knowing you know, trust in the coaching staff and." They have trust in him. We'll see what that looks like against Vanderbilt uh, here at the end of this week. Yeah, and, and I think when you when you get to the end of the year, if you're Josh Hype on his staff and, and you're doing a big self-study on yourself and a self-scout, I think one of the things you have to look at is what what is our what all are we doing in season to develop 
the young players on the roster. How many how many young fundamental periods are you doing? How much how much work are you putting into the development of guys who may end up redshirting, but but maybe they come back and can help you later in the year when you have injuries and things like that. How much are you doing early in the season with some of those guys to help them further develop? I, I think that's something that you look. I'm not. I don't know what they do on the practice field in season with young guys. Are they only scout team guys? Do they have some periods on days where you know the varsity you know guys are not doing as much and they hey. Let's go some good on good with young players and really do some fundamental work and develop that way. I don't know the answer to that, but I think you have to look at that and make sure you're maximizing for your young players who aren't playing. You're maximizing their 20 hours a week outside of just them giving you a scout team look of the opponent's scheme to help you prepare for a team. You've got to further and continue that development for those young guys. You got to make sure you're doing that. We'll get Matt right here in just like a minute, but I do have a quick question for you before we head to break. Tennessee's played JV games in the past. Tennessee played JV games within the last, I want to say, 10, 15 years. Is that a consistent thing every single year, and why is that not a thing maybe right now for the development of those young guys? Yeah, nobody's playing JV games. Nobody's putting the money into that and doing that. Prep school games have gone – you know, the prep schools have really gone away. Uh, you got numbers issues. Nobody's looking to play that, play those things. So that's not realistic. But what I'm saying is just some individual development periods, right? You got a bunch of young offensive linemen, and you got a young quarterback. I mean, let's let's. I mean, go nine on eight in the run game, right? If you need to, or or take some walk-ons out there and get eleven on eleven. And maybe they do that. I don't know the answer to that question. I think you have to be looking at that when you talk about growth and development of your program um, moving forward, are you maximizing the development of those young players, even the red shirt guys who aren't going to play? I'm like, how much better are you getting th- those young offensive linemen, right? I mean, how much work are they getting? How much are you doing with them each week to, 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 to advance them beyond them just being um, the, the scout team guys, you know? Um, can we get Donovan's question in here? Because I, I you, you mentioned this yesterday in the podcast. And I, I thought it was a good point you made. He said, third down defense is one thing we better fix to become elite. Brock Bowers came off the line free. Why not hit him? I, I think Tennessee has to press harder in coverage. And you mentioned this last night in the podcast. He ran a little, not a slant. It was kind of almost like a little square in, if you will. Yeah. Um, and Roman Harrison was out there. And Roman Harrison just never got his hands on him. I mean, never got a hand on him. Um, you you got to be able to on those little outcuts and those little incuts like that on third and shorter yards. You you have got to get your hands on that guy at the line of scrimmage and, and really get after him. And Tennessee, I don't think has done a good job of that, particularly with the slot receiver because they play a lot of off coverage against the slot. But in those situations, you got a guy walked out there. He's got to get the hands on him, right, Eric? Yeah, no doubt. Again, it was it was third and three, and it's it's that bunch, and he's the slaw, but he's he's in tight, and that's why Roman Harrison, the Leo, standing up, kind of splitting the difference, and, and that little outcut in cut, whatever the route is you want to call it. I never play wide receiver. I mean, he's literally going to the sticks and turning around and saying, "Give me the ball." You get a, you get two hands on him, disrupt that timing. I mean, maybe, maybe that pass is incomplete. So that's something I noticed in real time, saw it on the rewatch, and not just in that situation. You know, when you're playing man. 
and you're up on the line, get hands on them. You know, I know they're back and playing zone a lot and giving a little cushion, but when you're playing man and you want to walk up, even if it's not like press, get some hands on them, just disrupt their route a little bit because that 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 takes away from the timing. We're going to get to Matt Ray here in just a moment. Tennessee, a massive recruiting weekend. Do want to give a shout out to our friends. That is over at Game Time. You shouldn't have to worry about when you're buying tickets to your next big event. Game Time is the fast and easy way to uh, buy tickets for all your sports, music, comedy, theater events near you. Last minute killer deals, all in prices. Views from your seat, the best price guaranteed. Game Time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. I just mentioned that lowest price guarantee. They have events cancellation and job loss protection as well, so they always have your back. You can see the view of your seats before you buy, so you know exactly what you're getting when you arrive. Plus, they sell tickets even an hour after the event starts, so it truly is, for you procrastinators, the best place to buy those last-minute tickets and to get a deal doing it as well. If you go ahead and download the Game Time app today, you can create an account, use the promo code VOLS, that's V-O-L-S, for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, you can create an account, redeem code VOLS, V-O-L-S, for $20 off your first purchase. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Coming up next here on the Rocky Top Rewind, we will chat with Matt Ray on a massive recruiting weekend for the Tennessee Volunteers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're watching and listening to the Rocky Top Rewind presented every single Sunday night, VolQuest.com by our friends, Bobby King and Spivey LLP. Do you want to bring on Matt Ray to the program? Five official visitors, a lot of top targets in town. But first, Matt, uh, Sunday evening commitment to Tennessee for the class of 2025. Tell us all about Tyler Redman, the cornerback from Milton, Georgia. Oh, Matt, you got to unmute the mic. Come on, baby. Rob Lewis. Come on, man. It's been a long day, Matt. My my AirPods died a second ago. It told me it was muted, and I forgot. Oh, you're um, good. You're good. So this is this is a guy that um maybe came a little bit you know out of nowhere, but realistically, a guy that's been to Tennessee a pretty good bit. Uh, a guy that's been on their board since the spring when they started evaluating defensive backs. Probably comes across strange now that Tennessee's got three defensive backs committed at Milton High School in the 2025 class. But you know, I think when you look at it. You know, this this is a guy that Tennessee's prioritized pretty early, and he did not want to wait any longer. It's what he told me this afternoon that he um, he felt comfortable. He's been to Tennessee about six times, seven times now. Just continues to get more comfortable up there. He's got a good relationship with R- Willie Martinez, a lot of the players. He's really comfortable with Dylan Lewis. So why not get in the boat and start doing some peer recruiting? And, and this is a guy that is long. He's athletic. He does really well in press coverage at the – high school level in 7A football in the state of Georgia, and he's put some good things on tape. He hasn't camped a lot. I mean, he hasn't, you know, been out in that phase of things. He doesn't do a ton of 7-on-7, seven seven, so a little bit lower rated because of some of that, but a guy that projects to have a pretty good ceiling at Tennessee. Well, let's get back into the 2024 class. Obviously, five official visitors. The conversation starts with the number one offensive tackle in the country, Jordan Seaton feel like he was blown away by the atmosphere. Dolly Parton 
Peyton Manning. You guys had a chance to catch up with Jordan Seaton. And uh, kind of how was this weekend? This this was for Jordan Seaton. Tennessee put in some work to get Jordan Seaton here this weekend. Um, flight, you know, some flight issues. He, he ended up getting here in before kickoff and got to take in the full atmosphere. Um, you know, was going to stay um, through the weekend here and, and go back home. And it feels like Tennessee continues to put their best foot forward with Jordan Seaton. I, I think the Vols have set themselves up to be in as good of, of a position as they can be coming out of this visit. He'll go home and may not take another visit. We'll see. Jordan Seaton's been really sporadic with visits. So is he you know, really going to not go see Ohio State? He's got time to make you know, a couple more trips if he wants to. And then obviously, regardless of if he makes that trip or not, he's not going to jump to a decision. He'll, he'll make a decision most likely on signing day. So those in-home visits there in December are going to be key for Jordan Seaton. But Tennessee's done a really good job with him. He's connected really well. Again, being around Boot Carter this weekend, there's a lot of familiarity there. Jordan Seaton's starting to feel a little bit more comfortable in Knoxville. All right, Matt, let me, let me ask you this. I mean, who do you think is is the real – who's the – who are the horses in this race? Like, he's got seven schools on his list. Who, who are the horses in this race for Jordan Seaton? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, again, with a guy like this, sometimes it's a little harder to handicap it, but Oregon's in this thing. Um, you know, I think they made a pretty good impression. Colorado's going to continue to swing. I don't think that they're a real contender. I think Alabama has been a constant for him since the spring, uh, and, and they're obviously going to remain in this thing. And then we'll see what happens if he makes it to campus at Ohio State. But right now, for me, I, I would kind of put it as Tennessee, Alabama, and Oregon – with Florida, Ohio State, Colorado, you know, trying to push in this thing. I don't think, you know, Maryland's in that top seven, and I don't think they're a factor at all. Matt, Jordan Seaton was on campus for the first time earlier this season, and it feels like Tennessee's done a really nice job of, you know, getting in this thing, playing catch-up, and becoming a real, real factor. Speak to the to the job that Tennessee's done to really climb in this thing and be one of the, the last teams standing, you know, hat on the table whenever he makes his call. Yeah, you know, I think for Jordan Seaton, when I saw him there kind of at the first of the season when IMG played Lipscomb in Nashville, it was new. It was new with Tennessee. He was trying to figure some things out. How serious of a player can they be in his recruitment? Why? You know, what do they kind of have to offer me? He was learning a little bit about Darnell Wright and the fact that he had just become a top 10 draft pick. You know, then I think as things kind of – started to slow down a little bit for him. And I shouldn't say slow down because obviously everybody's keeping the pedal to the metal. But I think as he started to process things and really deep dive a little bit more into this recruitment, it did get slower and he was able to start picking some of those things apart. I think he wanted to give Tennessee a look. I think he had had heard enough. He had heard from other recruits. He was on a visit with Boo Carter at Colorado. And, and Boo's like, hey, you know, you need to come check out Tennessee. If you think this atmosphere is electric, you need to come to Knoxville. And Tennessee couldn't have got him to campus for a better game, right? I mean, South Carolina, a nighttime game, a really great crowd, and then a big win. He came away really impressed with the way that the offensive line played that night. Uh, John Campbell was the focal point for him coming out of the visit. So I think he started to see that Tennessee can, you know, be a school that can develop him and and be a real player in terms of that. I think for him, he knows he knows that he's an elite 
caliber prospect, but he also knows that there's refinement and things that he has to do to get to that next level. So I think he's weighing that in for sure. Um, ultimately, I think for Tennessee, it's been the communication piece. He, he's connected really well with them on, on a lot of different levels. He's connected with some recruits in his class, like I said, Boo and others, Jake Merklinger, and, and then Glenn Ellerby and Josh Heupel have just been you know, a constant for him over the last six weeks here. All right, I got lots of questions, but we're going to take some off to the side here too. So let, let's get Zachary uh, Zachary's question here about Elias Williams. What, what what's the story there? Yeah, so Elias Williams again, you know, obviously committed to Missouri. Um, you know, there's some belief that that's probably not going to stick with Tennessee and Alabama hanging around. But Missouri's doing all it; they're doing all they can to to hold on to Elias Williams. They they covet him. Obviously, have Williams Winery in the class the top defender, but they think really, really highly of um, Elias Williams, as do Tennessee and Alabama. This weekend for Elias went really well. Uh, I think, again, let's go back to just getting a kid to campus to jumpstart a recruitment somewhat. Tennessee was able to get him here for Texas A&M. Now, if you're an offensive recruit, that was a rock fight. But for Tennessee, that defensive line was dominant that day and it impressed Elias Williams, made him want to come back for an official visit and check Tennessee out. This weekend – he was able to get into town on Thursday night, start the visit on Friday morning, and he and his family got the full experience. They got all of the questions that they wanted to ask answered. I think they really enjoyed it. Uh, for him, for, for a little while, it felt like this one would probably go to those December in homes, and it still could. But I think he's probably going to take this next week here and, and decompress and just spend time with family, not really – engage in the recruiting process as much and then take that first week of December there after Thanksgiving to decide how much further he really wants this thing to go. But the Vols are, I mean, they're a player here. Alabama's pushing. He doesn't tip his cards very much, but this weekend went very good by all accounts. All right. So the, I mean, Jordan Seaton's like the biggest priority because Tennessee needs tackles. He's five-star, you know, he, he's the, he's the headliner. He's the attention getter, but Tennessee's got to have tight ends. They've yeah. got to have tight ends out of the transfer portal to help immediately, but they've got to have some tight ends that they could put on this roster and develop and build for the future to go around Ethan Davis and, and Jonathan Eccles, who's got to put on a lot of weight when he gets here. G- give me the story on on Merklinger's teammate, Michael Smith, and, and, and Roger out of Utah. I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name. But Roger out of Utah, because I think the tight end position is of real importance for Tennessee to try to finish out the 24 class. Yeah, most definitely. So Michael Smith did, didn't make it in this weekend. We'll right. see if he we'll see if he ends up making it to campus at some point in December. Um, you know, I think there's still a chance there, but at some point he's got to get in the car and come up here for you know it to be a realistic chance there. He continues to be open to conversation. Um, if it's felt like Auburn was the other team maybe involved, um, you know, trying to pull him away from South Carolina, but it doesn't feel that way so much anymore. So I mean. Is it just is it genuine interest that he's really looking around, or is he just making sure that there's some you know other options out there in the water? It, it's hard to say for him. You know, talking to Jake Merklinger, he's working on him. He, he seems I mean, to he think can't, Jake can't get him in the car to ride with him up to Knoxville. That's that that's got to be a bit that, of a head scratcher for how much interest Michael really does have in the Tennessee program, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's um, I think that says a lot right there. You know, uh, another teammate got in the car with Jake Merklinger on Friday night and came up here. Thomas Blackshear, a 2025 receiver, that's got a handful of SEC offers. So I think that says a lot. And then with Roger, you know, I think coming into this weekend, 
there was a lot of buzz around Oregon and plenty of reason to believe that. Um, now, obviously, the Ducks are a big-time player. He was scheduled for an official visit to Auburn next weekend. Is that trip may not happen? You know, he he's not he's not ready to say that that trip is officially on the books anymore. Seems like this thing's going to come down to Tennessee and Oregon in the end. And the Vols made a really big impression this weekend. I think one thing that stands out is that they need a pass catcher at the tight end position. And he heard that all weekend long. He's he's been hearing that for some time. And, man, he saw it this weekend. They don't have, you know, that true option. Like, you know, not to say that Rodgers or Brock Bowers, but a guy that can go on third and six and get to the sticks, hit, hit a square in and turn around and, and win against an edge defender or an outside linebacker. He's aware that Tennessee needs that. So I think that's got some appeal to him. And this is a visit that went very well for Tennessee. They've worked this relationship for some time. They've known since the summer, since July, they've known that this one was going to go into December. He's most likely going to make a decision there the first week of December. Um, and I, I think the Vols are a real player here. And this is going to be a very interesting recruitment. One thing about Roger this weekend, AP and I both talked about it this morning after seeing him. I think Eric, he was listed at maybe 210 there on the on the on-3 side. Yeah. He was 195 when he came out here this spring. He weighed in at 223 this weekend. Wow. He looks he looks like has also grown in it. He looks like a different kid, a guy that you can get another five to ten pounds on and, and, and can make some plays for you. And that's what Tennessee needs in the tight end room. Matt, I want to ask you about a couple of junior college defensive linemen. You and I talk about these guys on trail tidbits every single week, but you know, Brian Taylor and uh, Kamari Copeland both came in for official visits. Uh, Tennessee likes the outlook of both those. How did the how do the visits go for those guys? Because again, coming from junior college, you got to go through, check the boxes, you know, weigh in, check the medicals, all that type of stuff. How was it for those two guys, Kamari Copeland and Brian Ta- Taylor? Yeah, I think the visit went well for both of those guys. I think Tennessee you know, had a chance to get both of them here for the full weekend. It worked out to where it wasn't. Uh, revolving around their junior college schedule, so they were able to learn more about them. And I think Tennessee made an impression. I still just think, again, Eric, you and I have talked about this with these junior college guys. I think it's still a little early for them. There's still uncertainty in, in any direction for them with which way they're going to go. Where am I visiting next type deal for Copeland? Like Arkansas's on the donkey, but Virginia Tech's trying to get him there for an official visit at the end of the month. That's technically the home state program for him. Texas A&M just offered. What do they do? Um, You know, if they make a hire, is he a guy that they prioritize? Obviously, the interim head coach there is the current defensive line coach, so he's got a pretty good taste for for defensive linemen. You know, so I I think it's just very interesting to see where some things go. with him. Brian Taylor, Tennessee did well there this weekend. He's a guy that they see as as a true end, put a hand in the dirt, and and can make some plays a versatile defender, but He's got a handful of visits left as well, um, you know, and then he's going to take coaches in home. So he's just coming off a Georgia visit. They've done well in this recruitment. They've certainly got his attention. This visit went very well. He felt like Tennessee showed him everything that he needed to see to know that they were one of his top schools. He felt like they were a top school coming in just because of the attention that they had shown him. And, and then this weekend went well. But he's got UCF. He's got um, Texas A&M. He's got Florida twice on the docket. So there's just a long way to go for those junior college guys just because I think so much of it's new. They really started to blow up late in this cycle. 
Well, Matt, and, and here's the other thing, too, with the junior college guys. I mean, how much is with Tennessee, are they looking at those guys based on who you think's coming back and not coming back out yeah. of that COVID year? When you look at what the possibilities are for Tennessee out there, how does that change the priorities for those guys? If, you know, if Amari Thomas came to you and said, hey, I want to come back, and Elijah Simmons and Bryson Eason and Omar Norman Lott, I don't think you're going to get all of them back. We know Tyler Barron's going to go. Um, but, but, you know, what does that look like if you get more of those back than you lose? I think that's interesting when you try to balance the numbers, don't you? Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. And I think again, with those guys, obviously they've already used some eligibility. So I think that's why you see a guy like Elias Williams, that's so much more of a priority because you've got him for the duration of his career. Right. So I, I think again, while we've kind of reiterated for the past couple of weeks that on the defensive line board, Elias Williams is the guy for Tennessee in this class right now. Matt, don't want to keep you too long, but uh, some 25s were on campus as well. George McIntyre, the quarterback, the five-star, had a chance to catch up with him uh, out the door. Tell us what GMAC had to say about his visit. Yeah, it was a uh, really good visit for George McIntyre. Look, he doesn't tip his hand at all. He knows how to say things without saying things, if that makes sense. He he knows how to, to leave it open-ended to, to make it, oh, he said that, but what does that actually mean? You know, but I think overall for George McIntyre, and I put this on the board last night on the general's quarters, this was probably the most social that I've seen him during a visit. He was he was really enjoying his time around other recruits. There was a lot of conversation there for him. Um, I think those around him were really impressed with the caliber of offensive linemen that Tennessee had on campus this weekend. And man, did they have did they have a handful? Uh, David Sanders, Juan Gaston, Josh Petty. Those are three elite caliber offensive lineman in the 2025 class. McIntyre had a chance to talk with David Sanders, who is number one offensive tackle in 2025. And, Eric, that's a visit that I think for Tennessee went as well as it could have. They There have quietly been some buzz, oh, Tennessee's, Tennessee's in this, Tennessee's in this. He got here and he came out of the visit giving rave reviews and even said at one point, that in terms of communication, when he's not on campuses and, and trying to balance his schedule with academics and football and everything that he has going on in life, that Tennessee's doing the best job of, of balancing his schedule in terms of communication and making him feel like a priority. So that was that was a really good visit. And then you know, back to George, he, he connected with Caleb Cunningham as well, a guy that you know, was a five-star receiver in the 2025 class. And another guy that you know had a visit, uh, a really good visit, and, and GMAC, those guys are really enjoying the early relationship that they're building with him. They've been on some visits together before, and you know those things have carried over a little bit. Matt Ray, great job, man! Great work, you and Austin Price over the weekend covering Tennessee recruiting, and obviously there's going to be a whole lot more this week still coming from this past weekend, right? Yeah, there's there's going to be a lot. There's there's, there's a lot still left to, to get out there. Over under 22 minutes on Trail Tidbits this week. Um, buddy, I, you told me last week I needed to pick them up and put them down, and I felt like I did, but uh, I, it, I'll i try my best to pick them up and put them down this week, but it, take hammer the over. <laughs> <laughs> hammer the it. over. I love it. Matt, appreciate it, buddy. Thanks so much. See you guys. Thanks, Matt. All right. That is Matt Ray, of course, over here at VolQuest.com and doing a great job. Awesome as well. Uh, again, if, if you're watching, you haven't checked us out over at VolQuest.com. We got so much post-game coverage from Tennessee, Georgia, but 
I mean, already, you know, about 10 things recruiting wise, maybe even more just from last night. There's going to be plenty more as the week goes on. That's number one stop, VolQuest.com, for all things Tennessee and Tennessee recruiting. All right, we got about seven minutes. Let's get back to your questions, and uh, we'll finish off the show here. Let's go to Wise Vol Fan. It seems like Joe has a lot of misreads during each game. Do you think that will improve next year with Nico? Um, you know, we'll see. Uh, again, we haven't seen Nico play any, any meaningful snaps. Uh, the little bit we've seen from Nico in game action, we've liked we like his pocket presence and everything. But, Brent, I'm not sure we're going to have a feel for that until we see Nico play you know, series after series, game after game to see kind of where that stacks up to where Joe is now and where Nico is going to start next year. Yeah, and I think for Joe, it's more about speeding up the process, right? I mean, so if you if if a guy's open early and you miss him and you go somewhere else, is that is that a misread or is that just not you processing and making quick enough decisions? Um, I, I think all those things. I mean, listen, you got to play better at the quarterback position against good defenses if you're going to win football games, you, you know? In the red zone, it's going to be tight. Uh, you you got to make throws. You got to throw catchable footballs. You, you got to make a quick decision in those tight windows there. I, I think it's about processing and speed of processing, and we'll see where Nico's at. There's going to be growing pains with that. It's not going to be an automatic fix right out of the gate, right? He's going to miss some stuff. He's going to be slow with some stuff at times. Um, that, that there's you got to learn how to play in this offense. I mean, we we nobody remembers that Hendon had his struggles his first few games in this offense, right? I mean, he threw a pick in the Pittsburgh game that eliminated Tennessee from having a chance to win that game his first year at Tennessee when he stepped in um, for Joe Milton, who was hurt. So uh, he had, you know, he had his issues. Nico will certainly have growing pains along the way uh, when it's his turn. Much the same way any quarter, any young quarterback is going to have growing pains in an offense. It's a good question right here. This is from Big Tennessee. Do you think the offense lacks creativity, or is it because Joe is not playing good, so Hypel is not calling his entire playbook? Uh, you know, I, we we saw a lot of creativity in the offense last year, and even at, at points in times this year, like I, the you, know, you, you saw a wide receiver was Chaz Nibron yesterday, kind of hiding like an H back, and then they run that end around with two lead blockers. That's something we've seen in years past. Haven't seen an awful lot this year. Just kind of stuff like that. Um, I do think coaches adapt to the personnel they have, whether that's Joe Milton. Remember, you don't have Cedric Tillman, Jalen Hyatt, Princeton fan anymore either. Um, but but you're adapting to the personnel that you have. I think that there's a lot of things Hypo wants to do that that he that he's not that he's kind of restricted with. But I think that can you know that can be the case kind of every year, just depending on the personnel and kind of where they are and their growth in the offense. Well, yeah, and and I don't think it's so much lack of creativity as it is lack of willingness to use the whole field. Um, and, and Tennessee's not been nearly as active and nearly as effective throwing the football in the middle of the football field, which makes you easier to defend. When everything's outside the hash and you don't work the middle of the football field a great deal, it, it makes it harder. And, and, you know, I have the luxury of sitting next to Pat Ryan, who's a former quarterback who sees the field, and he's always talking about, you know, with, with a lot of this coverage that different teams are using, the middle of the field is open, and you got to take advantage of the middle of the field. And um, I, I don't think Tennessee has done a great job of that. Is that because of Joe? Is that because of receivers? Is that because of all of it? Sure. I mean, I, I think that's part of it. And, and I yeah. think that for the growth of this offense to be as effective as you want, you want that secondary and you want those linebackers to cover the entire width of the field. And you got to make more use of the middle of the football field than, than what Tennessee is doing right now.
This is a hover stat that was sent to me a little earlier by Brent Hubs himself. Dylan Sampson averaging 5.7 yards per carry this year. He has 10 total carries in three games since his strong second half of the Kentucky game. He had a strong game against Kentucky. Hasn't seen a whole lot of carries since. And and Matthew wants to know, why does Dylan Sampson not carry the ball more? He's more athletic than some of the others. Also think the wide receivers are non-existent. Um, You know, freshmen playing next year at wide receiver. Well, first on Dylan Sampson. We talked about it a moment ago with uh, you know with with Ride Jalen Ride how he's kind of, kind of your workhorse he's he's obviously your your best option. They like Jabari Small. They like Dylan Sampson, um, but the the rotation it's just it's been puzzling all year long. I mean, I, I don't I don't have an answer for it. Right? I mean, you, yeah. you got a guy who you got a guy who touches the football in the first two snaps of the offensive snaps of the game. He has a seventy five yard touchdown run, and then I think his next snap maybe covered. To two yards or something like that on the second one. And then you don't see him again until the last series of the first half. So I, I don't, I don't have an answer for that. I don't have an answer for why Dylan Sampson has not been utilized any more than what he is. I mean, clearly they have a set rotation that they want to go into the game with. Um, and that's the one there that they don't seem to deviate from that. Right. So if, I mean, and whoever starts the series is going to finish that series unless they tap out. And I mean, you're sitting here, Jalen Wright's, you know, thousand yard rusher, I guess. We're going to have a chance to be a thousand yard rusher. I'm not sure exactly where he's at right now, numbers wise. He doesn't have 20 carries in a game this season. I mean, he's not a workhorse. He's not. He's a splash guy. He's made some big plays, but he's not a workhorse. That's not how they're playing it. Um, they're, they're heavy rotating those guys. And, Dylan Sampson, I thought would be heavier in the rotation following the Kentucky game than what he's been. So um, I don't have a good answer. I think it's a good question, Matthew. I don't have an answer for you. Jalen Wright is 62 yards away from breaking 1,000 and only on 126 carries, meaning right now he's averaging 7.4 yards per carry. It's pretty good. That is that is uh, that is really good. Uh, let's go to Volfan205. Them not having more design runs for Milton this year is a joke. Don't say he's not a runner because clearly he is a runner. I, I noticed yet in my rewatch and you know obviously watching it live yesterday, there were two quarterback draws and Georgia just ate it up. Um, there was a zone re keep one time where he got a couple yards. Georgia, I think yesterday in particular, Georgia was just really good in the front seven. And anytime they tried to do that with Joe, they didn't try much, but they were there and defended it well. Yep, they played. I mean, they played a lot of zone coverage, a little bit of a spy, so to speak. I don't think they were worried about the middle of the football field uh, in terms of Tennessee throwing the ball. So when they they ran, you know, quarterback draw for him there, um, they were standing there waiting for him. Uh, I don't think Joe is a great. He's not an elusive runner. Yeah. Um, that that's not what he does. He's not going to make people miss in the open field. Mm-hmm. Um, I. You know, early in the year, they definitely should have run him more um, than, than what they did. And I think he was a bit banged up, so they were hesitant about that. Um, and, and then I don't I don't think they were going to get anywhere. I mean, Georgia didn't let Hendon get loose running the football last, last year either. So um, I just think that some of that stuff in the RPO, though, is has got to be zone read keep or pull it and throw something. You know, which Hendon did a better job of. I don't think Joe's done a great job of that the, the last couple of weeks. I, I think he did a poor job of that against Missouri. I don't know as much about this past game in terms of what all was asked to do. But in talking to some people, there was a feeling that 
Joe left some plays out there, both with his feet and just some RPO reads against Missouri. Did you think he could have ran that in on fourth and goal? We're talking no. about the pass to Jazz Nimrod. Looked no. like he could have. I don't think uh, he would, it, it would have been close. I feel like, given the way Georgia closes, I don't think he could have gotten. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, it's just like somebody I saw the day on, I don't know if it was Twitter or the GQ was talking about the play at the end of the first half that the the corner was bailing. He lined up at the goal line and he was backing up in the replay. So why didn't you throw it underneath and and let him run in? Well, he didn't turn and bail until Joe was throwing the football. So. Yeah. You weren't going to throw it at the three-yard line and get in the end zone there unless you broke a tackle. And if you don't do that, you don't get any points. The the, the play that I think Joe made the right play on the, the red zone throw to Chaz Nimrod, he made a bad throw. You know, he threw he threw a high heater. I mean, he threw a you know, he threw a hundred mile an hour fastball that was up and away back into back into the coverage. Um, if he throws that accurately with a little bit of touch because Nimrod's got him boxed out. Nimrod fought through the hold, which should have been called, but he fights through the hold and then he gets a defender on his back. He's got him kind of boxed out like a basketball guy. And Joe throws it up here high into the to Nimrod's right at a hundred miles an hour. If he throws it down at his chest or at the numbers, then then to me it's an easy touchdown. Uh, I think I think that was more about the throw. I did not think Joe was going to get in. Now, could he have run out of the pocket and bought him some more time out there? Maybe. But he had an open receiver. He just didn't make a very good throw. That'll do it here for this edition of the Rocky Top Rewind. Been at it for about 62 minutes. Can't thank you enough for being here and can't thank our friends over at Spivey King and Spivey LLP enough for sponsoring this coverage. You need a problem. You got a problem? Let them find a solution for you. That's T and Trial Lawyers. You can go go ahead and give them a call today for a free consultation. That's at four two three four one two four two three two four five four one eight five four two three two four five four one eight five. And as always, it's Spivey King and Spivey LLP One more week left in the regular season. We'll have tons and tons of coverage. There's a holiday this week, but obviously, no days off over VolQuest.com. We'll get you ready for Vanderbilt. More recruiting notes. And then we'll get into bowl season. Still a lot going on. That's at VolQuest.com. Plus, Tennessee basketball is in action. 9.30 tip tomorrow morning. Uh, kegs and eggs, baby. Well, not not the kegs part because we all got to go to work. But uh, plenty of coverage over at VolQuest.com for Tennessee basketball as well. He's Brent Hubs. I'm Eric Kane. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to the Rocky Top Rewind right here at VolQuest.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.